Hey everybody, just wanted to let you all know that we had an amazing time talking to Russ Burlingame for this episode. It went so well, and we got to talk about so many amazing things that we're having to break up this episode into two parts. Yeah, that's how good it was. So this episode will cover only half of what we were able to talk about, and part two will come out this Friday. Enjoy the show. And also remember that you can pick up Russ's book, Best Movie Ever, an oral history of Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont's Josie and the Pussycats, wherever you get your books. Or you can go to josiebook.com and get an autographed copy. Hello, and welcome to the Parental Advisory Movie Podcast. We are your hosts, Jeff Hall and Patrick Terry. We're two dads with a love for movies. Join us as we discuss movies we have seen with our kids. As well as movies we have seen without them. Hey, Patrick, how's it going? Pretty good, Jeff. How are you doing? Wow, I just realized I changed my voice tone, like almost like my DJ voice when I decided to do that intro. It must be because we have a guest and I'm trying to press somebody. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Nor more than likely it was just an accident. Um, we have a... It, we are kicking off, I guess, this is kind of the way we're doing it. Um, we're kicking off our summer guests thing that I decided we, we probably give it a whirl. And uh, it turns out so far, we're, it's also kind of going to coincide with a summer book club. As in, we're having people that have also worked, you know, at, in some form or fashion in the, you know, with movies and have a love of movies but are also authors as well. And so this week we're kicking it off with a very special guest, someone who, if you followed our socials, you'll know because I've posted about the book because I bought the book and then read the book and then read the book. And I said, you know what, this would be a great person to have. And I, it doesn't take much for me to, you know, need, there's like nothing that really anyone needs to do for me to go, Hey, let's talk about Josie and the Piscats because I love this movie. I even rewatched it yesterday just because I didn't even need to. I just felt like it's just because it puts me in a good mood. Yeah. But this gentleman uh, works with works is the senior staff writer at comicbook.com and also has written the book. I'm holding it up, even though there's an audio medium <laughs> uh, best movie ever in oral history of Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont's Josie and the Pussycats. Everyone, please welcome Russ Burlingame. Russ, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking time and um, be sure to, on um, on behalf of, of Patrick and myself, be sure to thank her for for taking uh, bedtime for us, uh, for the kids. Oh, yeah, so uh, I I know sometimes when, you, when we get out of uh, routine, it could kind of mess things up. So yeah, routine uh, is a big thing in our house because uh, my oldest two are both on the spectrum. Okay. And so we, uh, when we knew that my wife was going to be doing bedtime tonight, we like started prepping them last night. So it's all good. okay. Well, again, thank her for us. We we definitely appreciate that because that's definitely, especially with, uh, with with kids like that. Um, one of our one of my best friends also has one who's, I mean, bath is at seven thirty, eight o'clock. I mean, it's so I know when not to text her because I know she's going to be busy. And <laughs> routine's a big thing in their house too. So I get it. Um, and so again, thank you for joining us. Uh, we are very excited to have you here and to talk about your book and what you have uh, going on. And, um, just, I mean, just to, you know, join us to talk about all things, movies and also comic books. Cause, um, those are becoming more and more, I mean, as further as the years go by, it's, I mean, you can't really have one without the other really anymore. Um, so uh, we start off every episode with um, what's new. So with you, Russ, what is new with you? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm Just, in that weird place where I'm trying to do like eight things because mm-hmm. uh, I have book two coming up and I'm, I'm working on my interviews for it right now. I'm doing another oral history. And then awesome. simultaneously, I have uh, what I call book 1.5, which I'll show you guys, but, you know, audio. <laughs> Right. It's called the Gold Exchange, and it is a a, a book about Booster Gold, a DC nice. Comics like second hero 
Yeah. And uh, this is just years and years of interviews that I already did that were published at sites other than comic book. Okay. And where I only writes to the interviews and mm-hmm. they're no longer online. So it's like, okay, I can publish all these old conversations. Heck yeah. Uh, but we're, uh, we're, after I put that out, we're now doing a, uh, like a reader's digest version, essentially it's called okay. a legend in his own time. And okay. it's, uh, another guy who I'm friendly with, Kevin Allen mm-hmm. broke down the gold exchange and, and made it like boil it down to its essence. The things okay. that are super important for casual fans to know instead of like little, like a lot of these things are, are this panel and this page and what happened here in this story. Uh, and the, a legend in his own time is more what's important about the character. Right. And the idea at the time was for uh, legends of tomorrow fans to pick mm-hmm. up this like Peter's digest version of the gold exchange before season eight started because booster was going to be a big part of season eight. Okay. And of course now the show's canceled. Yeah. Uh, but we're like, well, we're doing this anyway. Right. You might as well. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of editing that while also writing another book while also uh, <laughs> buying the house that I'm in. My, my in-laws are moving literally next Friday. Uh, wow. We've been living with them for a while now and, and had just the idea was we were going to buy their house when they found someplace. And so it's, it's everything in the world. Going oh on. yeah. That's literally everything. <laughs> So with, and how, like, so you've been there for a while though, right? Like in yeah. this house. Okay. So that's yeah. nothing new for your, your kids are already used to that, but they might be, yeah, I, I guess mean, the, the new routine will probably be just trying to get used to your in-laws new house. For yeah, them. Well, and also getting, getting used to fewer people being here. Cause in right. addition to my mother and father-in-law, my sister-in-law has been living here since she, she like, uh, after college, she decided to take a gap year and move to Australia. Oh, nice. And so she came back from Australia and stayed here for like three years. And during that time, my kids, it's like, that's Angie. Right. She's here all the time. And like today, my daughter kind of realized like, oh, Angie's not coming back. Oh, wow. And, and so like, it's, it's even though we've tried to prep them as much as we can, it's, it's kind of like, okay, well, we've been here as kind of this weird, big extended family where they yeah. keep them in the house for this whole time. And now in a very short period of time, everybody but us is going to leave. And the kids are like, I don't know if I like that, man. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, my in-laws, uh, like, out that window right there, mm-hmm. you could see their house. Oh, okay. So well, that's good. That's cool. So, you know, we live at 140. Anytime the kids want to go see Grandma and Pa, they can be like, hey, we're going to go down to 210. And that's Boom. it. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing, actually. That's good. My... Uh... My grandparents had retired from Kansas City to Springfield, Missouri, mm-hmm. and we were still living in Dallas, Texas at the time. And so when we moved, uh, when we moved from Dallas to Springfield, uh, we stayed in the base of my grandparents' house the first year until my mom got the house in Dallas sold and then found one um, in town. And turns out she found one three blocks away. Mm-hmm. So my mom has lived three blocks away from my grandparents for better part of God, uh, 31 years now, I guess. Yeah. So I can't, I just thought about that. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's it's also my, my sister-in-law lives directly across the street from us on the other side. Uh-huh. And so it's this thing where we have this little encampment where out of like seven houses, we are three of them. <laughs> wow. You guys are like monopoly on that yeah, street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just picking up property. Left oh, and right. Wow. There you go. <laughs> um, Wow, that that's that is pretty crazy. Did you watch uh, Krypton at all? The oh, show. I the... Actually, uh, fun story. Mm-hmm. I before book two materialized, uh, I, I put together a spreadsheet of all these ideas of things that mm-hmm. I wanted to do in oral history. Then, and Krypton was on there, and I reached out to Cameron Cuff, mm-hmm. who is the star, and Cameron Welsh, who was the showrunner, and they both wanted to do it, and. Uh, it was just one of those, like, it's, it's going to happen. I'm going to write a book about that sooner than later. Uh, this next one, I didn't think my bosses would ever go for, because uh, in order to write a book, I have to go to CBS, which owns comicbook.com. Okay. And I have to say, hey, I want to do this thing. I know that I have an exclusivity deal with you guys, but here's why me writing it is not a conflict of interest and why it benefits CBS Paramount in some way. Right. And then HR takes a week to look at my presentation, and then they get back to me and say, yeah, write it, write it. Uh, 
my next book is going to be about Crisis on Infinite Earths, the uh, comic book series, and then also the CW series. Right. And I did not for the life of me think that they would ever say yes. I thought they were going to be like, no, that's way too close. You cover the Arrowverse for work, like blah, 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 blah. And uh, no, man, it was like half an hour. It was so much faster than getting approved. <laughs> it was just like, nope, do it. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. And so I was just like, okay, I'm doing this before they decide to change their mind. Exactly. Uh, before you go on your point, uh, one thing I'll show you between between the three of us. Mm-hmm. Yes, about Krypton, uh, my tattoo. Oh, nice. Keep believing in a better tomorrow. And that is in Cameron uh, Cuff's handwriting. And then Cameron Cuff and Cameron Welch's autographs are online. Nice. Cool. Well, that answers that question. Um, <laughs> well, Literally well, the only tattoo I have. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, what made me think of it, though, is because you were talking about writing Booster Gold. And I'm like, well, I think he's been... Um, it's like I know he's been in a show, but it wasn't. I was like, I know which one was it because so many. And then it finally hit me. Duh, he was essentially the second lead, is the way I would put it, for Krypton. Well, and actually, funny. that was technically Adam Strange, and a lot of people pointed out that he that is true. acted yeah. and looked so much more like Booster Gold. Yeah, uh, the Boosters had two live action appearances. He was on Smallville uh, for one episode, right? And then he was yeah. on Legends of Tomorrow for That's one what it was. episode, which was yeah. supposed to be more, but then the show ended. <laughs> right. Uh, Donald Faison got to be Booster the second time around, and uh, all of Twitter's racists got very excited for a minute. Oh, Lord. Bless their hearts. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was Adam Strange. That's been a while since I've seen it, apparently. But uh, No, but I mean, yeah, here's the thing. Yeah. As somebody who covered that show front to back, yeah the number of times I had to write stories about how the fans all thought the twist was going to be that Adam was really booster, mm-hmm. not single digits. Like right. so that came up over and over and over again. And at one point, I think that they told me they wanted to bring booster in just so they could prove, no, no, they're not the same guy. Right. Well, no. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's on me. Um, I do think, Booster is a really good character. I think he is kind of underused. Um, it is interesting for his uh, kind of narcissistic as he is for him to finally find, you know, for him to then find some humanity and like, it's, it's about him and about his, I mean, especially in this day and age, he would be perfect because it's all about, it's all about image and he's more worried about his image than actually helping people, even though he's yeah. from the future. Like he could and Jurgens, who created the character, uh, did a great mini series earlier this year with Brian Sook called Blue and Gold, which is about Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. And they did a really good job of kind of updating Booster for 2022. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's not in in the old days, it was like he was the guy who was shilling for toothpaste and trying to get on the news. Yeah. And in this version, he's like, no, I'm just going to live stream it. And the news can buy the footage from me. <laughs> um, See? Yeah. That's perfect for him. Yeah. Perfect for him. Awesome. And I will say there's something uh, in terms of my two books being about Booster Gold and Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah. Uh, I feel like there's some connective tissue of like, corporate sellouts yes i was about to say commercialism yes and corporates yes yep that's that is the common thread <laughs> which is kind of funny because you have to go now i'm sure you probably didn't address either one of those things when you're trying to get <laughs> your books approval for your for you to write your books either be like hey um yeah, we're going to go gloss over this thing because it's paramount. So we don't really want to talk about the corporate. Well, what's, what's funny is I don't think it ever came up when I was pitching the books because, well, first of all, I didn't pitch the gold exchange at all. Right. I, I had kind of this loophole where this was, uh, this was pre-written content. I, right. I did this before I ever worked there. I owned right. already. All I was doing is making a reprint edition. Yeah. Uh, and, and really it was a lot more work than that because I had to clean it up and I had to remove the old sites that I worked for and just put my name in and I, all this kind of stuff. Oh man! But That's like, fair. at the end of the day, I didn't have to get booster approved by anybody, uh, which is also why my buddy wrote the Reader's Digest version because it's just like, okay, nobody—I don't have to get anything approved if you're just taking my book and adapting it, and I'm splitting the profits, you know. Uh, but with Josie, the thing that I basically focused on was the uh, 
the crazy journey of something that failed at the time and then became a cult classic over the course yeah. of the years. Yeah. And it becomes more and more relevant too. The, like, the, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> like even because in 2001, it didn't really, it kind of just, you know, it's just, a, it's like, okay, well, here's essentially Rachel E. Cook from She's All That and Tara mm-hmm. Reed from American Pie and Urban Legends and, Mm-hmm. And this yeah, new girl, and this new girl, interviews. and this new girl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of these interviews that Rosario did, yeah. she was talking about how she would go out in public with the other two girls because they all got to be actual friends when they were right. in the movie and they would go lunch or whatever. And it would be like these people coming up, running up, wanting autographs. And Rosario is just like, yeah, I, I, eventually that's going to be me. Like, and it's so funny because in hindsight, I mean, all of them are still out there, all of them yes. still working. But, but she's doing Rosario the most work. Yeah. The star. Yes. The yeah. And so it's so funny looking back at some of these, not just like, and it's not just like talking to her and looking back and having her say that in hindsight. There were interviews at the time, like in the Entertainment Weekly interview, in the TV Guide interview, she talked about how uh, she would go out with these guys and nobody, nobody knew who she was and nobody stopped to talk to her. And it was like, at that time, she'd done basically kids. Yeah. And, uh, after Josie was filmed, but before it was released, they they got uh, she got uh, Pluto Nash, and that was one of those movies. Even though it was a disaster, yes. it was a disaster with Eddie Murphy, right? And, and when she... you were starring opposite Eddie Murphy, it's like okay, well, I'm I'm someplace now, right? Well, and people are going to see it, and at least yeah, and they'll be like, oh, that's uh, that's Val from Josie and the Pussycats, yeah, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then she'll be known for that until. You know, she goes on to do Alexander and all these other City, crazy, yeah. yeah, all these other crazy, amazing roles. And then all of a sudden she's in Dope Sick and it's winning all kinds of awards. And yeah, yeah. it's crazy. It's, it's it's so wild because like she, this, I, I spoke to her for the book mm-hmm. and immediately after that, she got, she did Dope Sick and she did Ashoka yep. and like, She's just, she's doing all of these. And I'm like, if I wrote this book a year later, I don't think that anybody would have let her talk to me. Right. Uh, I always have, uh, it, it, because of my day job, working mm-hmm. ink, like site, uh, there's always this thing, like I'm, I'm toying with the prospect of doing something, uh, a long form something, whether it's a book or something else about this other movie. And I won't get into the details, but it's got, uh, uh, Giancarlo Esposito in Okay. And so I reached out to his folks and they got back to me and said, hey, can you give some more details and stuff? And it's like, I have to put in there, so you know, if I do this separate from comic book, I am not allowed, like there's no crossover. I'm not allowed to like repurpose stuff one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Like you have my guarantee, I am not going to ask about the fucking Mandalorian. <laughs> oh, right. But, mm-hmm. uh, but it's like, you have my guarantee, I'm not going to like, I'm, this isn't some stealth pitch to try to get right. into Star Wars or Breaking right. Bad, or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's one of those things where uh, you 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 have to have those conversations because mm-hmm. yeah. for a lot of publicists, is, yes. Okay, so you're going to approach me about this weird cult thing from 20, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. and really what you want is to get him on the phone without a publicist to talk to him about Star Wars. <laughs> right. Exactly. I could see that, yeah. See where that could be a problem, <laughs> especially for for things, you know, for people that have gone on to get these big, huge well, roles from. Stuff. It's always like if 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 the manager doesn't consult with PR and just says, "Yeah, they can do this thing," and then the thing blows up in somebody's face, then it's like <laughs> it's a it's a whole thing for it's, you yes. personally. Yes. Right. No, I, I I completely understand that. Um. What gave you the idea to write this book, to write best movie ever? You know, it's funny. Uh, I have been wanting to do this book for about five years. Okay. Uh, and part of it is my day job. The way that film, and especially film in the like geek space, is covered mm-hmm. now is so different than it was 20 years ago. There's just There's more outlets because the internet has opened everything up. And there's more reporters, there's more everything. And 
the example I use is if you look at something that comes out now, that's attached to a big IP that everybody's interested in, even if the movie fails at the box office and even if people don't like it, you're still just by virtue of the promotional machine, you're going to know everything about that movie. You're going to know what inspired it. You're going to know all the weird trivia. You're going to know, you know, because when a movie comes out now, there's 3,000 outlets all trying to get attention. The costumer is going to talk to somebody and the prop master is going to talk to somebody and the concept artist is going to talk to somebody or at least they're going to put it on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And so there's all these things that 20 years ago did not happen. Right. Two years ago, we didn't have this like saturation media where we covered every aspect of a movie. And so part of it is when I look back at movies that I love from before this era of the media, I'm like, man, I want to, I, I want to go and find out the crazy stuff that we don't know. Yeah. You know, and, and, and a lot of the time it's funny. A lot of the stuff that I found out that nobody knows that hasn't come out in, in the 20 years, it's smaller stuff, mm-hmm. but I find it so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Like in the book, I talked to Maddie Libatique, who is the, the cinematographer on the movie. And one of the things that I discovered is that he took Josie because he was trying to prove that he could do like a big corporate blockbuster style movie because he had done nothing else except for working with uh, Darren Aronofsky for the first chunk of his career. And all of a sudden it's 2001 and Warner Brothers is looking to reboot Batman and Darren Aronofsky is going to do Batman. Right. And Darren wanted Maddie Levitique to shoot it. And Maddie obviously wanted to shoot it because he doesn't want to shoot a Batman movie. Right. And so he, but he knew it was a liability with Warner Brothers that all he had ever done is like Requiem for a Dream and Pie. Right. And so he went looking for like a big corporate franchise movie that he could prove, no, 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 I can do this. Like I can shoot a movie where there's light in it. Exactly. <laughs> and and so he did Josie and a big part of why was just so that he could do this Batman movie that of course has never happened. But at the same time, Darren Aronofsky's Batman Year One is like one of the great like enigmatic untold stories of Hollywood that all these fans are so obsessed with. <laughs> and so there's this, this idea to me that was so cool about like, yeah, the reason that Maddie Libatique, this Oscar nominated cinematographer who's done all this cool stuff. The reason he did Josie and the Pussycats that point in his career was because he wanted to prove he could do Batman. Which is pretty awesome. And it's just weird stuff like that, where I'm like that 100% would have come out in today's internet. Yeah. But, uh, but it didn't like this kind of coverage didn't exist back then. And if you look at a lot of the coverage, honestly, like you look at movie line and, or not movie line. Uh, I can't remember. There's a, there's a big glossy magazine. It was total movie. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and the, the cover of the magazine that had Josie and the Pussycats on it was so informative because it's like all these little blurbs and it's like Christopher Nolan's memento was on there and something else that was like, it was like, the cerebral cinematic experience of the and then Josie, which was the actual cover of the magazine, <laughs> and the, the caption was like hot chicks with guitars. And you're like, <laughs> this is the curse of this movie. This is why nobody yeah. thought to look more than a layer deep, is because all of the people who were supposed to be like covering it were just like, ooh, isn't it great how nice these girls' legs are? <laughs> right. I ended up actually not seeing in theater. Um, I ended up renting it at, back when we used to be able to rent movies at video stores um, and just fell in love with it. I was like, oh, my gosh. I just and then, you know, just one of those things like this is so funny. And like, there's just so many great just one liners and quips. And, and like, I just can't get over, like, how amazing Alan Cummings performance is. Like, I like I always. I always kind of felt that Parker Posey's was a little bit too over the top, but I, you know, as I, as you get older and you rewatch things, you're like, no, this is exactly how she's supposed to be. Um, But just all these different, just little quick things. If you don't catch it, just, you know, if you don't get it, you know, you'll catch it on another viewing. I also find it to me kind of like another movie that I find is just one, just a very rewatchable, like clue to me. Like I've, I've watched clue. God, I don't. I can tell you the number of times, but every single time I watch it, I will find some small little detail 
whether it's just a a movement. Mm-hmm. Like at this point, I'm down to like I'm noticing movements because I already know all the lines. But first, it was <laughs> I did you know I'm I'm getting um like the lines are funny, but then you realize how smart the writing is, and then you figure out you know you get past that and you're just like you you see how they play off of each other and that that cast couldn't have been any more perfect and then you just get down to like noticing different movements you're like oh my gosh this is just like genius all the way around but yet again it's another one of those movies that didn't get you know it's it's got a cult following much like josie and i feel josie's the same way the only difference is that josie has a killer soundtrack to go with it (laughs) which it's funny uh First of all, it's funny because you talk about video stores. I worked at one, well, not just one. I worked at video stores for years. Mm-hmm. And so there's actually like right over there. And usually I try to do that when I'm on camera, but it's just too much of a mess. Yeah. But I have a shelf from Blockbuster nice. that is in my office. And so I have like a whole shelf where it's just like, here's six copies of Josie and then uh, a documentary about Blockbuster and a documentary about Strangers in Paradise, my favorite comic of all time. Nice. And a bunch of eighties movies on VHS and then Zack Snyder's justice league on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's awesome. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, the cast is so funny because like you're, you're right. There's so many weird things that have to fall into place for a movie. And part of the reason that in hindsight, Josie is so much kind of better than we thought it was at the time of release is that, we kind of see what the actors are doing and we know that they're capable of all kinds of things. And so we start to say, okay, so why'd they make that choice then? And so then you're kind of interrogating the movie in a different way. And it's like, you don't just blow it off as like, Oh, they're trying to be uh, spice world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you kind of look at it and you say, okay, so if it's like this, why is it like this? And we start to realize, Oh, they're doing that thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Patrick, something I heard while reading this book, I want you to guess, Three different, well, three different R&B singers that tried out for Rosario Dawson's character. Think 2001. You could think uh, there'll be female artists, obviously. R&B, hip hop, I guess. Um, I know I'm making you think back college days, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. If you've seen the movie, one of them is actually name dropped in the movie. <laughs> yes. And well, considering it's, that time frame. Yeah. Maybe as far as R and B, maybe Brandy. Not far off. You're getting you're you're in the right space, we'll say. Um mm. just don't go chasing waterfalls or anything. Just My left eye. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Left eye. Left eye almost got the. She was this close. It was really. She was the number two person uh, behind Rosario Dawson for the gig. And then uh, somebody else that went on to being an Austin Powers movie. Oh, Beyonce. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, Beyonce. uh, Beyonce has this this great because like she is apparently super mellow and very quiet and like reserved in the in the uh, audition. And so the directors tell the story. It's like she came in, she sat down cross-legged on the floor and she did the read. And they were just like, she's beautiful, but she doesn't have any presence. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine those? I mean, how many times do you think that person probably now hears that? Like just randomly, like she'll be on TV or something. Like they'll get a text. Hey, remember when you said this about her during her audition for Josie? She has no presence. (laughs) One of the Tracy Edmonds, who I spoke to for the movie uh, or for the book, uh, she's uh, uh, Babyface's ex-wife, and she was a producer mm-hmm. on the film. She told me she still has all of the like the master tapes of all these auditions, and I'm like, man, you have to put that out somewhere, somewhere. Even if it's just YouTube, yeah. like Did, I want to see that. <laughs> yeah, or put it. I mean, shoot, make a collection. <laughs> put, I mean, you, know, you could probably put it out behind a paywall somewhere and. Well, I mean, what, I, they did a 20th anniversary Blu-ray for the yeah. movie, and it had no extra, like, they did do a little color timing correction uh, and a couple of little tweaks here and there to the movie, but there was no extra bonus features, all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, you got that. That's a yeah. wealth of... Yes. 
there, there was oh one gosh. other person too that we're, we're, we we got. I kind of started talking about Beyonce, but uh, uh, the third person who tried out for the mod, there were like thirty people who tried out for that gig. But uh, shucks, what's her name? Um, Aaliyah, wasn't it? Well, Aaliyah was Aaliyah was yeah. the third pop star who, who looked yeah. after it. Uh, but also, one of the things I found out, I think after I wrote the book, and I was like, ah. um. Now, of course, I'm spacing on her name, Regina uh, from Watchmen. Oh, Regina King. Regina yeah. King tried out for that part, too. Uh, That's cr- <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. That is because crazy. That, that was the one where they didn't know who they wanted. Because right. uh, Rachel just done She's All That. And basically, the selling point was, we're going to do a Rachel Lee Cook movie. Yeah. And then Universal had just released American Pie. And so Universal basically told the directors... Okay, but Tara Lee. <laughs> and then they had this third character they had to cast, and they had nobody in mind for it. And it became like, okay, so let's cast a really wide net because we want to get the best possible person because we know that whoever it is, they're going to have to punch their weight with these two people who are incredibly famous right at this moment. Mm-hmm. The, and for what, I don't know what it was, but yeah, so the cast has always been something that's like I, I as I as, I don't know if you've ever done this rewatching movies when you watch them as a kid, and then when you watch them again as an adult. Of course, granted, I was in my mid twenties when this came out, so I'm not really using this one as a good example. But just like movies that you watch as a kid, and then at, you watch again as an adult, or movies you watch with your kids that you used to watch as a kid, you start identifying with different characters. Yeah. more just because of either your age or just your personality has changed. And so you start identifying with different characters. And I, I feel that way. Cause I think uh, I like Rachel Lee cooks like for, cause we watched, I showed this to my kids. We had a family movie night. I'm like, I got the perfect movie. I haven't watched this in like forever. We had just moved to our new place. So I had all the DVDs mm. tubs, like just, right here in the living room and had hooked up our DVD player. Um, Cause we were still waiting on our internet. So we had to go old school. <laughs> and, uh, and so. Uh, I talked about my Zack Snyder VHS. Exactly. <laughs> well, I've got a whole tub of VH te- VHS tapes that I guarantee probably the sound doesn't work on any of them, <laughs> but <laughs> that's just, you know, 30 years of that, but. You remember these things? Laser disc. Yes. No. This is a CED, a capacitance electronic disc. Uh, it rolled that. out in the late 70s, early 80s. Oh, okay, that's why. Low-cost alternative to VHS. And it was over by 1983. It was a disaster. It actually destroyed RCA as a company. Wow. wow. Uh, but as a relatively poor but movie-obsessed family, this yeah. is what we watched a lot of things on when I was a kid. Holy cow. <laughs> wow, that's like predating even Betamax. <laughs> It's funny, they started developing it way earlier than beta and VHS. Yeah. But they were such perfectionists about it that by the time it came out, it was a great product. But beta and VHS were already in the market. And it was like, why does anybody want a home entertainment thing where you can't record onto it? Right. Hmm. Wow. And so they, they essentially shot themselves in the foot by being like, no, good enough is never good enough. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> Anyways, sorry. Yeah, no, no, you're good. Uh, but yeah, we ended up. So I, it was like on the top, like it was meant to be. Um, I said, "Perfect, we're gonna watch this." So I put it on, and both of them loved it. So of course, I had the soundtrack. So every now and then, it'll be on in the car. And in fact, it was on two days ago. Mm-hmm. I don't. Know. I just need, you know, because it's one thing the soundtrack has always been good for. Really, the movie's been good for is anytime you just need something to brighten your day or just kind of something cheery you could put the movie on and it's good for a laugh you could put the soundtrack on and it's good to put you in a better mood and that helps when the sun's out too (laughs) but uh it's just i mean the fact that they were able to make a good clever funny movie with a message i mean about you know about uh commercialism about you know selling out and going all corporate and everything and not and trying but also as far as for girls staying true to yourself and who you really are and don't let, don't let anyone try and change you. 
you know, it's got all these great messages that each one of my kids were able to, or each one, both of my kids were able to identify with different things. So like my son's not really going to identify with like girl power and stuff like that as much as he will be with the part of, you know, just stay true to who you are. Don't let someone else try and change you just because it may make you more popular. Yeah. So, which, you know, and then my wife and I, we just were laughing at all the jokes. Cause yeah. You know, as my wife was probably wearing one of her down with the patriarchy shirts anyways, so <laughs> which would have been just fitting really. Um, but yeah. And it's just a, uh, one of the things I've loved was learning about just the making of the soundtrack. Even one of my favorite tidbits, cause I don't want to try and give away all the great things, but you know, you got to give away a few things because you want people to, I want people to read this book and see all the cool other cool things in it. Other than the casting of, um, of Rosario and that whole process. One of my favorite things, at least as it relates to the soundtrack is, uh, is the, well, one, the fact they got Babyface to yeah. do it, which I'm like, that's kind of a, like, that's a big deal, especially, I mean, for a soundtrack. I mean, it's a sound, I mean, well, and it's funny. Uh, shoot, I can't remember the band now. There was some big band, Fallout Boy. Yes, that's where uh, I was going along with this. Fallout Fallout Boy did a record that Babyface produced, and when they reached out to him, he was like, "You know, you're not really my sound. Why do you want me?" And they were like, "Because we listened to the Josie and the Pussycats soundtrack." And I'm like, "That's amazing. I love." Yes, that. <laughs> I I busted up laughing when I read that, and then read that to my wife. Read that entire paragraph. But he's a great like he was one of the folks who I genuinely did not think I would be able to get on the phone. Yeah. And like he's just he's such a huge, huge, huge. huge. Yeah. And uh what happened was I was talking to Kay Hanley, who was the, the voice of Josie, mm-hmm. the voice of Josie from Letters to Cleo. And towards the end of the conversation, she was like, Hey, so are you, who have you talked to? Have you talked to Babyface? And I was like, you know, I reached out to Babyface's people, but they haven't gotten back to me. And she goes, Oh, let me text her, you know. And and the next day I got an email from Babyface's manager or whoever it was mm-hmm. that was like, hey, uh, sorry, I missed this. Can we set something up? And I was just like, I 100% know the only reason this happened is mm-hmm. because Kay Hamley called him up personally and was like, hey, this was a fun interview. We should talk to him. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Cool. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, when I read that about Fallout <laughs> Boy, I started, I was like, that, that's 100% amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, just reading about all these different people that helped write the songs like Matthew Sweet, Adam Duritz. I'm like, yeah. I'm just having flashbacks to like sophomore Adam year college like, and Adam Schlesinger. Yes. I, I'm so I'm so bummed that I never got to because here's a thing that I, 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 I mentioned this kind of in passing, but mm-hmm. I wanted to write this book like five, six years ago. And right around that time was when Mondo did the vinyl release of the soundtrack. And with the soundtrack, they released an oral history. And so I, I had this idea to do an oral history and I heard they were going to do one for the record. And I was like, okay, so maybe they'll just do what they're going to, you know, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. do it. Cause like a lot of this is like, I don't want to write a 200 page book, man, but I want to read this book. Yes. Yeah. Like I, I care about this stuff. I want to know it. And so to me, if somebody else is going to do it even better, <laughs> and so I uh I waited until the record came out so I wasn't stepping on anybody's toes and I got their oral history and it was really well done, it was really well written, but it was like 12 pages and it was basically the five people you would expect. It was like the three stars and the directors, and I think mm-hmm. maybe had a couple of comments, maybe. And then like it it that came and went, and I was like, yeah. okay, so I want to do this, I think I'm gonna do this. And then uh, there was a podcast called Josie and the Podcasts. It was mm-hmm. an Australian radio DJ who uh, did, did an, like a, a walk through the history of the movie. And again, just as I was getting ready to pitch this book to my bosses to see if I could get permission to do it, um, Josie and the Podcasts was announced. And I was like, oh, maybe so they're going to do my thing. And they did a very close approximation of what I wanted, like to the point where I had to look at my book after it was done and restructure parts so it didn't seem like I was copying their structure because they they did such a spectacular job. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I still wanted 
more people and more insight and more points of view. Like the big thing was she told the story, but it was like the official history. And it was like what she used as her research was, was secondary resource topics, like looking at all the magazine interviews and reviews from the time. And she had one interview with the directors and Rachel Lee Cook. And then she also had, she had another interview with Dion, this woman who had almost been the singing voice of Josie, but they decided that she was uh, essentially too black and her voice would not convincingly yeah. come out of Rachel Lee Cook. They were like, you're amazing, but this can't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and uh, so like, that was a great interview. Like that's mm-hmm. actually my favorite part of the Josie and the podcast podcast. Cause I never got her to talk to me. Right. Um, but, uh, and that's actually, I, I asked Babyface a lot about that person because he was yeah. the one who brought her on board and right. hired her. But like, her, this artist, she was like, no, I had the job. And then everybody yeah. else is like, I didn't know. I, I Really? That's awful. Yeah. <laughs> so in oh, the book, you'll God. see that I've talked to like three different people and there's three different points of view about like the degree to which she was already Josie and how much yeah. she'd done. This kind of stuff. But anyway, so like, there's the oral history for the record, and then there was the podcast. And finally, I was just like, I'm just going to make this book. It's going to be a thing. I'm going to make it. And then as I was starting, the pandemic started. And then the very first like celebrity death from COVID was yeah. Adam Schlesinger, who wrote Pretend to be Nice, the main, like the song that goes to number one and makes them hit makers in the movie. Yeah. And I'm just like, not only did I not get to talk to him, but I couldn't find any interviews where he talked about the film and so it killed me because i was like if i'd done this five years ago when i wanted to this incredibly talented man because like he didn't just do josie in addition to fountains wayne he did uh my crazy ex-girlfriend he's the guy who wrote that song that thing you do Mm -hmm. and so like this is a guy who like i mean honestly one of the things on my list is i would love to write just a biography about him yeah but uh I, I kick myself every time I think about the fact that I didn't get to give him a chance to talk about Josie yeah. because I just, I was trying to, and it's like, it's literally just, I was trying to be polite. I was like, right. trying not to step on anybody's toes. I was like, maybe yeah. they'll do the thing I want. And then it just, <laughs> that's generally how it works. You're like, uh, Oh, cool. They're doing that. I'll, I'll just, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of scribe my idea. Yeah. Oh, like, sweet. That just less work for me to have to do. And then you're like, <laughs> and then they put out said product. You're like, oh, all right. It's kind of, it's, 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 it's thing that I want. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, and then you're like, Thanos fine. I'll just go do this myself and then grab the gauntlet <laughs> and then go take care of business. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not the best analogy, but you know, <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, I just love, there's so many great, amazing tidbits. And then even just like the du jour stuff, that is one of those things, even back when the movie, you know, when I watched the movie for the first time, there was so much going on during that introduction of them where they're doing backdoor lover that you, it never occurred to me for it to be the double entendre that it is Mm -hmm. and how hilarious that really is. (laughs) Like I was too visually focused on what was going on, yeah. looking at each each star and their the dance. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, and I was just I was like, this is actually oh, like oh, this is hilarious. I love this because of who's who else in it: Faison, Seth Green, uh, Brecken Meyer, and Alexander Martin. Uh, yeah, and then just like the whole thing was just hilarious. Just watching them just have a good time, it, you know, kind of parodying boy band music videos i i to this day i one of the folks i mean there's a lot of i sent out feelers to every person tangentially involved in this movie i wanted mm-hmm. to talk to everybody I could. and the one that kills me the most that i didn't get to talk to is alex martin mm-hmm. because he uh everybody talks about du jour mm-hmm. like, phase on and seth green and breck and meyer and that other guy and you're like, Dang. do you know who that? I, I, I've actually, yeah. I've, I've like sent, I've sent messages to people whose podcasts talk about the movie. I'm like, do you know who that other guy is? Because his grandpa was Dean Martin. Yes. And his mom 
was the like smoking hot Juliet in the Franco Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet movie we all had to watch in high school. Right. But they had to turn the TV cart at a certain yeah, scene yeah. because there was nudity. And one of the things <laughs> that actually did not make the book was uh, when I was talking to Brecken, mm-hmm. they were friends in high school. And he was talking about how their high school also had to watch that movie. And so <laughs> the TV cart would come in and it's like, Oh, we're all gonna watch Alex's mom naked, right? <laughs> when she was underage, uh, and Alex was like, "Can I? Can I just go? Can I get a hall pass? <laughs> Here, take the key with the giant <laughs> wooden yeah. brick attached to it." Oh, jeez, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, and he was the exchange student in Can't Hardly Wait, in which uh Deborah Kaplan Harry Elfont also yeah. directed. Yeah. Um it's funny because you say exchange student and immediately my brain goes to uh my friend Diane Franklin uh-huh. who was in uh the movie Better Off Dead. Yes. And she actually she just wrote a book. I do not remember what it's called, but uh Diane just wrote a book that is basically this Josie book but for Better Off Dead. Oh sweet. Oh, so great. And I, I talked to her for like an hour and a half. Uh, and and I've still never published that interview because it's an hour and a half long, and I it's it costs like hundreds of dollars to transcribe. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, I'm trying to look up the title now because I, so everybody knows what it is. That one. Oh, here it is. Got it. It is called. What's up? The excellent comedy of the last American French exchange babe of the eighties, the better off dead movie tribute book. There we go. Yeah. It's and a short she, title. All of the titles <laughs> are kind of like that because yeah. she tries to like, I, I swear to God, somebody's just telling her you've got to gain the SEO algorithm. Yes. And so it's like every title of every book has to acknowledge the fact that you're in the last American virgin and Bill and Ted's excellent adventure and better off dead and Amityville too. <laughs> yep. That's hilarious. Um, no, that's actually pretty amazing. I'll have to check that out because that'll be good. Um, that's a double, and it's such a delightful movie too. Even if yes, the one person who doesn't like it is John Cusack. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, I actually watched that last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually trying to because now the movie stores aren't around and streaming. Mm-hmm. You get whatever they have the license to for that month or whatever. Um, it's a lot harder to actually find movies, even at the local library that we like to utilize at least. Um, it, so I was trying to find one crazy summer because I, it's one, it's one of those I hadn't seen and yeah. I actually had not seen better off dead either until last year. And so I actually found it at the library. So I checked out better off dead and we, I watched it and my son ended up watching most of it with me. And so we, uh, we watched it. And then that very next week, no, not like a day or two later, uh, we interviewed the guys from the movie The Paper Tigers. Uh, nice. We had an interview. And uh, one of the co-producers from the movie, uh, Paper Tigers, was Yuji Okamoto. Mm-hmm. And towards the end of the interview, he pops on. And I was not prepared for that. <laughs> so I was not prepared to talk to Chosen from The Karate Kid Part 2. And, uh, and the guy who... And then in the student with that only knows how to speak English after watching Howard Cosell. Yeah. And I just watched better off dead like a day or two earlier, but I called my son in so he could come and listen and watch. And, uh, cause he at least knows karate kid part two and he knows Cobra Kai. So he knows those two things. And as soon as we ended the interview, I went, shit, York, that's the guy that was sounding like the sports announcer in the movie we watched <laughs> two days ago. I could have legit talked about that with him and you, like with you in here too. And he's like, wow, really? I like, yeah, I said the movie's old. I mean, the movie's 30 years old. So obviously we all look different. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> so, you know, he, but he couldn't have been any sweeter or any nicer. But I was like, oh, we could have. Uh, Funny, over on my aforementioned blockbuster shelf, I actually I have a, a copy of Better Off Dead on VHS that I bought from uh, Videodrome in Atlanta. Oh, okay. 
it's a video store that still exists. Mm-hmm. Nice. And uh, I went down there for a set visit to uh, the TV show Black Light. Okay. And we were there for three days. And I went and I rented something. I don't remember what. And while I was there, I just bought a ton of random VHS tapes that were sitting on their $1 shelf. Nice. And one of them was Better Off Dead. And I left the sticker on there because it's so funny. Uh, it, it doesn't say the name of the video store. It doesn't, like It's got the barcode. And then it says the title. And it says Savage Steve Holland, Diane Franklin, John Cusack, and one other thing. I can't remember. I'm just like, it's such, it's the weirdest label. Yeah. <laughs> but I love it. That's amazing. And I, lo- I love, I love, I have a, I'm a crazy person. You have to understand. I have a collection of video store stuff. Like I have the old Blockbuster TV set top box from Dish mm-hmm. TV or from Dish Network. And like a bunch of like my, my old windbreaker from when I was like a manager at Blockbuster. And wow. Wow. <laughs> There's a variant cover that I'm making of the Josie book. Mm-hmm. That's like a special printing for, because uh, if you look at the spine or if you look at the back mm-hmm. cover, ECV Analog is the publishing house. And I self-published this book. Mm-hmm. ECV is a reference to Emerald City Video, which was a video store that I managed for years. It's a family-owned joint. Mm-hmm. And uh, the folks who owned Emerald City actually came out when I did the Josie screen. Oh, and nice. I talked to them for a while. They're doing, they're apparently, they're doing like a movie history museum in Auburn, New York. And so I'm donating them. I have Carson Daly's director's chair from Josie. Nice. And I'm going to donate them that thing for the, for the museum. And oh, that's uh, awesome. And so, like, I'm making a special variant cover of the Josie book that's just an Emerald City video rental slip. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with the title of the movie instead of the title. <laughs> or the title that's, of the book. Oh, I like it. That's awesome. <laughs> so I'm I'm that nerd. I'm, I'm gotcha. <laughs> I was the I was the so I actually came across my old blockbuster card not too long ago because yeah. again you know when you move you always end up either before you move or definitely after you move mm-hmm. you end up going through all these old tubs of things that oh. of whatever and I and one of the ones I was going through trying to find something i don't even remember what but i came across my old blockbuster i'm mm-hmm. like how do i still have this uh-huh. of all things i'm like oh wait because it's nostalgia that's why i still have it and i i know somewhere i still have my old hollywood video card too oh yeah i and have then, the uh, i have a little key fob thing i've still never taken it off my keychain uh the the blockbuster rewards thing uh-huh yep uh, <laughs> i don't have the i don't have the card anymore although i do have one from the last blockbuster in Bend, yep. Oregon, the one that's still open. Yeah. Uh, they sent me a like an honorary card or whatever. Oh, that's awesome. Put on it yeah. When I bought a t-shirt or something from them. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah a buddy of mine that lives up in Portland, he, him and his daughter went up there and sent me pictures and, you know, basically I, uh, just to try and make me jealous, which is, it's fine. It worked. <laughs> it's funny. I wrote a short film and did not think it would ever actually get made. It did. And uh, so the context of this, I'm a huge fan of Legends of Tomorrow. It's one of the TV shows that I cover uh-huh. for work, but I loved it. And uh, so when the pandemic first happened, Legends was ending a season just at the start of the pandemic. So it's like, we're not going to have episodes for a while. So I got a bunch of fans together and I did this weird, goofy, like fan video thing. And it was inspired by Taylor Morden, who had done the, the last blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a thing called Project 88, where he got 88 fans together. Each one recorded a minute of their version, essentially, of Back to the Future Part 2. <laughs> and so it was this weird, crazy collage remake of the movie, where it was like some people were all in. Budgets, props, some people had claymation, some people had like weird cardboard things, and like and animation and then there were some people like me who just like it was me on a green screen and like i did the jaws thing where the came down oh yeah and but i didn't have a jaws puppet for my green screen so i used Menomina from the muppets nice <laughs> and so like project 88 was awesome and i was like we should do that for legends like we should do a thing where people can make their own weird fan videos maybe like an episode out of it and so I, I basically put out the bat signal. If anybody wants to do this thing, send me your footage and I will film myself pretending to be one of the characters and I'll make, make like connective tissue, right? And so uh, we made this 
this weird thing. And I wrote, as I was talking to Tyler about or to Taylor about it, um, I was like, hey, you inspired me to do this thing for Legends. He's like, you know, I'm friends with Fal Henschel. And Fal had played Hawkman in the first season of Legends of Tomorrow. Uh-huh. He's like, if you wrote something, I bet he'd do it. And I was like, okay, let me write something. So I wrote this short called Cooped Up, where Hawkman calls Blockbuster uh, because he's depressed and alone in the <laughs> pandemic. And he just needs to hear somebody's voice on the other end of the phone. And the guy who filmed the last Blockbuster shot my short film starring the actual actor from Legends of Tomorrow, nice. who then called his friend Ciara, who had been Hawkwoman on the show, yep. and got her to cameo. And it was this, like, it was so much better because, like, they made little tweaks along the way. It yeah. was so much better than what I wrote. It was delightful. And it's just, like, that's my last Blockbuster story is that, like, I have this weird connection to the last Blockbuster by virtue of the guy who filmed that documentary mm-hmm. and one of the guys who shops there because he lives in Bend Yeah, um, did this short film that, like, I had no business being involved in, but right. I was. <laughs> And I actually, I, I made, I built a guitar early in the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, because that was a thing I wanted to do. And uh, it's, it's got like, I epoxied on a bunch of legends pictures, like a collage yeah. guitar. And on there, I hid uh, a shot from my short film. Nice. So like on my guitar, it's canon. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. Sorry. I'm going way off. And- no, you're good. I, <laughs> we're good with that. Um, a lot of awesome, uh, little nuggets in there. I, so I always, I've, one of my favorite things about legends is that it doesn't do a full season. Yeah. It does half seasons and that has only better served that show. Oh yeah. And it's one lesson I wish it's just, yeah. It's one of those things that I wish, I think would have benefited all the other CW shows. Oh yeah, I love Flash, but honestly, I haven't watched Flash in like I think a season and a half. Yeah. After the whole Cicada thing, I kind of I'm like, I think we've kind of we, we're I, I we're kind of running it. Universe shows for work, which is good because otherwise, this crisis book would mean I'd have to like spend a lot of time catching up. Yeah, but it's been years since I was really excited to sit down and watch right. most of those shows. It's really yeah. Legends managed to keep me engaged all the time because it was just this wild ride. You never knew where it was going to go. Well, so Legends started out the normal formula, like the, the yeah. regular. It started out regular CW, you know, W or CW, um, DC show formula, Arrowverse formula where. You know, it establishes the characters, and then it we have a thing, and then okay, we have to go do this thing. It's kind of like a Buffy, where it just you know, freak of the week or whatever, or timeline of the week. I guess it's more like it. And then they, but it was still part of that, just action, melodrama kind of show. Which I mean, it's fine because I mean, with DC, I mean, with these CW shows, you kind of know what you're getting. Um, I always thought Arrow was a little bit different, but as it progressed, it kind of became more melodramatic and less with the action and kind of lost some of the magic from its first few seasons when we were definitely more excited, at least in our house, more excited to watch it. The first like three season, three, four seasons of Flash were kind of that way too. And then it kind of just, you know, kept going and going and it's still going. And I'm like, I don't know how, but it is. I still like, I love the cast. I just think that I feel like they're somehow running out of stories, even though flash has been around for like 50 years. Like you would think you would probably be able to, you know, uh, but I mean, that's kind of how shows are, but again, there's so many filler episodes because there's 20, anywhere between 22 and 24 episodes. Yeah, I mean, you'll have your arcs, but in between arcs or even in the middle of arcs, you'll just have these blah filler episodes. And with Legends, you can't really do that because there's only like 16 or less episodes. And also, they, the, you know, it's funny, the show got canceled and there's all this, there's a lot of people talking like, 
hey, what if The Flash did a story where they finished Legends? Yeah. And I'm like, man, that is way worse than ending on a cliffhanger because historically, the Legends writers have a weird, unique point of view and none of the other shows, even though they are shows I enjoy and even mm-hmm. though shows that share a universe with this one, none of those shows have successfully managed to nail the voice of Legends. Yeah. And I feel like to give them an ending that's written by the Flash staff, it would be like, this is a mess. It doesn't yeah. feel remotely true to itself. And that's no offense to the Flash. No, it's I, it's I, just I, a different type of show. Yeah. And so it's it one of the reasons that Legends works so well, not only is it the shortened season, so there's less filler, but when there is filler, they come up with some totally insane model episode. You know, the, the Groundhog Day episode mm-hmm. where... I mean, and, and the Groundhog Day episode is a great example of why that show works so well. And you can cut all this if you want, because this is no, no. total tangent. But um, when they introduced Zari, the uh-huh. character, it was like, it was really easy to think fans are going to hate this person. Like, you're introducing a character in the third season who is confrontational and adversarial with your main characters. She's not personable when she's introduced you know and and historically when you introduce characters later in the show it's hard to get the fans behind them Mm -hmm. and then they did this this one bottle episode where it's like we're not going to spend any money we're going to do everything on the wave rider but like it immediately made her a fan favorite character Mm -hmm. like and it wasn't just the writing. The writing is certainly a big part of it, but like Tala is so, so good. She is an incredible actor. She always makes the right choice. And then even, I, I went and saw her off Broadway and, and in this play English. Mm-hmm. And I've been saying to people, that play is better than anything else I've seen. I, I still like, I, I saw it in February and I'm still thinking about it actively, regularly. Mm-hmm. And so like, you have this incredibly talented actor who finds herself on the CW. And they had the good sense to be like, okay, you know how we're going to make this character work? We're going to give this actor a chance to just go nuts. Mm-hmm. Because she's so good that if you see her, you're going to love her. And well, yeah. So like, that's how you do a bottle episode without totally losing the attention of the audience is to be like, we're going to showcase what works about this series. Well, not only that, they, the show ended up, going the way kind of like fast and the fast and furious franchise did in the sense that they started out kind of more serious, kind of like the other era of her shows. And then all of a sudden they're like, why are we doing it like this? When we could do it, our own, we could, we could be more self-aware of what we're doing. Like we know this is going to be ridiculous. How, what if we made it like Dr. Who, like put some like Dr. Who elements into our show because essentially we're traveling through time yeah. like Doctor Who, you know, it's, you know, our spaceship is also bigger on the inside as well. But, you know, we travel through time and try and solve the, these different mysteries and mm-hmm. deal with these different monsters and demons. Same kind of way. Why don't we just do it with superheroes? And that added that gave them so much more room to kind of do whatever. And then when they had their justice society episode i think that's kind of one of the bigger game changers because that's when they introduced nick zano as yeah. uh, citizen steel yeah. and then the bromance between him and uh brandon rouse adam mm. oh my god that was like the best like the chemistry between those two really carried that show for a long a good long ways well in that same season the season you're talking about is when uh I, I remember I got us, uh, I was supposed to talk to somebody, I can't remember who, and the CW used to send you your DVD screeners only if you had press that week. So if, you, mm-hmm. if I'm talking to somebody from the show, then they'll send me the episode on DVD to, you know, and then they obviously have stopped doing that now. But so they'll send you the, the thing on DVD, you can watch it early. And I got a, an episode, it's called Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the conceit of it was, the bad guys stopped George Lucas from making Star Wars. And as a result, uh, Nate's and Nick Zano's character and Brandon Roth's character, who both had based their careers on George Lucas movies, mm-hmm. um, never became superheroes. And 
a lot they have to go back in time they have to convince george lucas to make movies and along the way they get stuck in a trash compactor and have this whole like this is so stupid why is this happening and <laughs> i so they sent me the screener and i i sent i took a picture of it and i texted it to mark guggenheim who was one of the creators mm-hmm. of the show i was like hey look what i got and i remember his response because it it's, it's seared into my brain he's just like let me know what you think after that episode i think we've either found the voice of our show or they'll never let us on tv again <laughs> <laughs> and because, found like, voice. at that point it was like we've now gotten so ridiculous yeah but after this there's no turning back <laughs> well yeah because then they also did uh one of my favorite things and i actually end up getting in a shirt about this too mm-hmm. um is when they did uh uh, still when Rory was still on there uh, and they did the cube, the Kubrick fake moon landing. Oh yeah. That, and I loved it. Cause actually there's a, oh, Lord, I can, I, I'm already blanking on the website. Um, but uh, I got this shirt. It's a film crew. It's Apollo uh, NASA, Apollo film crew mm. moon or film landing, uh, moon landing film shirt. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was like, Oh yeah. This, yeah, yeah. I have to have that shirt. This thing behind me, it's nice. a uh, it's a reference to the original movie poster for The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Mm-hmm. And it's done in charcoal by this artist who, uh, he was the guy who did all of the scrying art in the Constantine TV show. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is actually from the Legends episode, The Good, The Bad, and The Cuddly. If you look closely, it's See, Jonah Hex and John Constantine and Bebo. <laughs> That's awesome. So... <laughs> I actually just got done watching as I was folding laundry earlier today. Um, I was watching the Gus Gus uh, episode. Oh, so I'm like, oh, it's baby Beepo. I don't made from the same planet. I don't know. I haven't figured. I haven't made it that far yet. So I think it was like the baby Yoda. The, it, it was like yeah. them ripping on baby Yoda. But yeah. Like a Beepo like design. Yes. That's <laughs> like, I bet they're from the same planet. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed our show and have a moment, please rate and review. It helps us out a lot. Also, recommend us to someone that enjoys movies or also has kids. You can find us on Twitter at PA Movie Podcast and on Instagram at Parental underscore advisory underscore movie underscore pod. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Parental Advisory Movie Podcast, and join in on the fun.